Hi, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of That New. Today, I'm joined by my lovely intern, Henry Lima. Hello, everybody. And we have an interesting topic for you today. So today, we're going to talk about back-to-school stuff, particularly food, shopping, and meal prep. So here's the thing. We came across a study recently that said 41.7% of shoppers listed finding healthy options for lunches and snacks as one of their biggest back-to-school challenges. 42.5% said they identified planning, making, packing lunches and snacks for school as the biggest challenge for them during the back-to-school season. 42.3% of consumers said planning and making after-school dinners is the most challenging thing for them. And we wanted to bring up this issue because we thought it was really interesting. And we thought it was really interesting because here we're talking about more than just the typical back-to-school stuff that we could expect during this year pertaining to COVID, pertaining to the technology purchases, getting new computers, um, deciding what back-to-school supplies to buy because some people may or may not go back into classrooms. Back-to-school also entails college struggles, uh, the textbook budget, the college dorm budget. The, are we getting a mini fridge? Can we afford it? Are they getting all their textbooks for their classes or are they going to have to torrent it and only buy one? You know what I mean? All of these issues revolving around the back-to-school topic that we could typically anticipate are taking a back seat to meal planning, meal preparation, and after-school dinners and things like that. And we just kind of wanted to sit here and really dive into this issue and talk about why this is. So first issue that we'd like to identify is school nutrition requirements. Not a lot of parents know or understand that certain schools have certain requirements in terms of the food that your child brings. For example, they can't be allergenic, they can't have nuts, um, they can't be gooey, gelatinous, or, you know, like, creamy yeah. too much. Anything, basically anything that can make a mess that could be otherwise difficult to clean up. Um, but largely, it can't agitate the allergies of people in the, in the environment. They typically want to have things that are low sugar, low salt, low sodium, and like um, for people with gluten allergies and lactose intolerances, you know what I mean? They, they yeah. want better options for them so everything is more well-rounded. Definitely. If things need to be refrigerated, they prefer you not bring them because they're not going to put that shit in a refrigerator. If they need to be heated up in the microwave, you out of luck, you ain't got access to a microwave. You know what I mean? So it's really kind of making parents think about like, okay, well, they're not going to have time or an area for them to refrigerate the stuff. Right. They're not going to have an area to microwave the stuff. So I can't buy any frozens. I can't buy any perishables. I got to buy everything really dry and snacky. You know what I mean? Crispy, yeah. crunchity, crackety, and all of that. And what do I get them? You know? Yeah. Because typically when you get like the crispity, crackety, crunchities, um, they're typically salty. They're typically sugary. Yeah, that's the only issue. Yeah, like that's, it's just like, you gotta, you gotta know the right food to get in order to fulfill those school nutrition requirements. Yeah, and to be honest, like Lunchables ain't doing it for the folks no more. Nope, not, not at all. Uh, another issue is the lack of cafeteria presence and availability, right? So one of the most important things that cafeterias accomplish for people is that 
they eliminated the need for parents to worry about what their kids were eating while they're away. You know what I mean? Yeah. All the nutrition stuff, all of the, are they getting enough of this, getting enough of that, cafeteria is handled. And then there's the whole issue of lunch waivers, right? Yeah. Even if parents couldn't afford lunch for their kids and things like that, they were able to sign waivers and could still make sure that they get eaten the foods. You know what I mean? But without cafeterias to prepare the food for the children, without waivers, that entire responsibility of finding out and planning what the kids are going to eat that day falls back onto the parents. Right. Which is something that they didn't want. Yeah. Which is the cafeteria's job. That's the challenge, yeah. Like, especially now, like, there's... There's no cafeteria? Like, like why? Like, that's that's just crazy. Like, yeah. I don't know. And you know what? It's mini story time. So, like, when I was in high school, I didn't bother with the waiver because I wasn't going... Like, because I think we didn't qualify financially for the waiver. Right. But I also didn't feel like I could afford to buy the school lunch every day. Oh, my God. Tell me about that. So, like, lunch... The entire thing was canceled, especially for all the kids like me who are in the middle ground. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. I could not afford $5 a day for whatever they got going on in the cafeteria, but I also didn't uh, qualify for the waiver. So what did I do? You know, so you know what I did? Yeah. I, I, I had, my mom gave me about like $10 for the week. And every time at lunch, instead of getting like an actual meal, literally for all four years of my high school duration, right. what I had for lunch is I bought Pop-Tarts and Rice Krispie Treats. Oh, that's it? That's it. Oh my I really God. have no idea how I didn't grow up to be pre-diabetic or anything. Because I, as I speak to you now, mm-hmm. I promise you, four years worth of every lunch I had was either a Pop-Tart or a Rice Krispie Treat because they were both a dollar. Wow. I could, I could kind of relate to that, honestly. Because like, I remember back in middle school... I was also that kid who couldn't like afford that lunch waiver because of like financial situations and stuff like that. And you know what? It's funny because back then we had like a vending machine and it had like junk food. It had like Cheetos and they had like the baked Cheetos, you know what I mean? So they had a bunch of like chips like in the vending machine and there was a bunch of kids who would just buy it like for like a buck, you know, in case like they didn't want to get those school lunches because, you know, honestly, school lunches were disgusting and... I don't know. It, it, I was, I was just, it was just a interesting experience for me. And I'm so glad you brought up vending machines because, yeah, like vending machines would have those unhealthy snacks that people keep tripping about, but they would still let them in the schools anyways. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they're they're easy to refill. They had them in bulk. You can get them in bulk. And I think about like the drink vending machines too. Like it's either water, Gatorade, or Powerade, right? Oh, that too. Yeah. And the thing is, people don't understand that these are sports drinks with electrolytes, and this can totally throw off your Focus. This can this can throw off your balance. This can throw off your um, sodium potassium pumps in your nervous system. You know what I mean. Yeah. You could have too much electrolytes and things like that. And th- on top of the fact that they're sugary as well. Oh, definitely. And yeah. they don't have the viscosity of water. They're not as smooth. Well, they're smoother, mm-hmm. but they're smoother because they're supposed to be easy to drink. But easy to drink and sugary is kind of like a bad combination because people chug it. And it's not necessarily them intaking like the best stuff, you know what I mean? And then they got to go to the bathroom because they just chug these drinks, these sugary drinks, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just something that people don't know and it's pretty crazy to me. Yeah. So let's talk about food education. So one of the issues that parents face is they have poor food literacy and food education. Most recently, people are, are really starting to come on to this idea of the food plate 
If anybody doesn't know the food plate, you can go to myplate.gov. Shout out to the food plate. But the thing is that people grew up on the food pyramid, but the food pyramid was canceled like 15 years ago. They, they threw all of that out the window. The reason they threw all of it out the window was because the pyramid was basically to say, here's the food groups. Here's how much daily intake you should have. Go nuts. But the thing is, is that people were not eating those requirements equally. You know what I mean? Like they weren't having all of them in one sitting. They were telling them like, you should make meals that incorporate all of these things, but they just weren't. Right. So if, if so, like you have like your meats, your dairies, uh, your fruits and things like that. People were only having fruits in the morning and no other time. Vegetables at, in the evening, no other time. Milk with your cereals in the mornings and no other time. And that was creating a problem because these were not consistently eaten meals. And that's especially how people were missing out on these things in the first place. So nutritionists came together and said, like, you know what? Cancel the whole pyramid. We're just going to go the food plate. And so the food plate is basically like, here are all the food groups, but you need to be incorporating every single element of the food group at once in one sitting. You know what I mean? A fourth of your plate got to be fruit. A fourth of your plate got to be vegetables. A fifth got to be dairy. A fifth got to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a sectionalized way to construct your plate that's even and make sure everything gets in there because if, if, it, if it's not going to get in there in one sitting, it's just not. And as a as a person who's grew up with the food pyramid, like even then, like I feel like people weren't really going by the food pyramid in the first place. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Next topic, grocery store preferences. So here's the thing. This is where people are talking about shopping specifically at areas where one, they can afford, two, they know that they're stocked with the products they like, and three, they offer healthy alternatives, right? Yeah. So this is basically like if I'm looking for snacks, then I'm probably going to go to a Sam's Club, probably going to go to a Costco, probably going to go to a store that I know has bigger things in bulk like warehouse stores, food for lessicists, yes. and all of these other stores, right? Yeah versus the very niche stores with specific dietary needs like Whole Foods, like Sprouts, like uh, Ralph's, you know what I mean? Uh, Trader Joe's, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? These are very niche stores that like, you really have to know what the inventory looks like and understand how much of that you gotta buy. And to be honest, like you do not go to Whole Foods, Trader Joe's or Sprouts to buy shit in bulk, you just do not. And a lot of people can afford that. A lot of people cannot. And so deciding what store to go to was a contributing factor to this issue. Right. Meal planning for extracurriculars and dinner. Parents were finding it really, really hard to plan for meals around children's extracurriculars as well as dinner. For example, if you got a kid in soccer, if you got a kid in baseball, if you got a kid in basketball, whatever... And you may have more than one kid in a sport. You could probably have like five kids, each of them in a sport. Hooray, good for you. But that means you got to prepare five snacks, five different times of the day for five occasions. And then you got to come home and prepare dinner. So that means you're either going to leave your meat to defrost. You're either going to crock pot some shit in the morning. You're either going to prep something the night before to be made for the next day. You know what I mean? So what people tend to do is they tend to do all their shopping on the weekends. And they do all their shopping on the weekends because when it comes to preparing the meals, making sure everybody's eating, you know, feeding your husband, feeding your kids, uh, preparing the table setting and things like that, making sure everybody eats and then doing the cleanup involved, 
typically people don't have time to eat until after everybody's eaten. Right. It's very common that parents wait for kids to go to bed or wait for everything to be done before eating themselves. So they lose out on that whole time. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a lot of it's a lot of time management that it takes to be doing all this stuff. And the fact that you have like imagine like a parent having like a bunch of kids like that. That's uh it's a lot of work, and I give props to them about that. It's- right. And then even as a kid, like, really think about the opportunities you have in a day to sit down and, like, have a snack. Like, teachers in high schools and elementary schools are not pro-eat some snacks if you got them. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they don't want people getting their crumbs all over their desk. Yeah. They don't want them getting their sticky-ass gogurts all over the counter. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not like teachers and things are allowing us to eat during the day. So whatever section you have for, like, lunch breakfast after school snack those are pretty much the only times they're gonna eat and they need something for those times to carry over their extracurricular sports to carry them through their post lunch post recess time you know what i mean yeah because you know they're they're doing whatever they're doing for hours on end with no breaks true and then they're only going to be eating when they get those breaks where they can eat during breaks you know what i mean and that's a long time too. it is a long time uh Healthy alternative availability. So going back to the preference of stores, what we're also talking about here is not just, oh, organic, oh, vegan. We're talking about things with, for people with legitimate health concerns like celiac disease, gluten allergies, Mm -hmm. lactose intolerance, nut allergies, all of these things. You know, some people cannot digest proteins. Some people can't eat cheeses. Some people have dairy allergies and are not specifically lactose intolerant. Right. You know what I mean? There are more ways lactose and like chocolate and sugar and things. Plus you got like diabetic people. You yeah, know what I mean? There's like a lot, There's a lot to consider there for sure. And so like, let's take diabetic people for an example. Mm-hmm. So like, it's all like, they kind of got the worst of the issue because Oh yeah. On on one end, if you go to a regular store, they got nothing but unhealthy sugary options. Oh, right? definitely, yeah. And it'll take a minute to find those options. However, if you go to a healthy store, sure you got all these fruits, vegetables, and da da da. But the thing is, fruits have high sugar content. Right. Like you can't. Like diabetics should not be eating corn. Diabetics should not be eating cherries. Diabetics should not be eating s- carrots. Yeah. Because these are things with high sugar content. Damn, that's a lot to consider then. I, I didn't even think of that. That's crazy. Like, Yeah, you know what I mean? So it's not like healthy options is the best option for people. You know what I mean? So sometimes they might have to go at the basic grocery store because they might be able to find a low sugar option. But low sugar options are often the lightest foods. And lightest foods don't necessarily translate into the most energy. Right. So then you're all like skinny, exhausted, and da da da. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you see how that kind of makes the issue even harder, where you can't even decide what store you want to go to because of your specific like, biological need. Yeah, that's it's very difficult because especially like I just I'm just thinking about it. It's just like I feel bad for them, you know? Yeah, because I mean, like like let's really think about this. If I have a kid who's like horrible, has horrible eyesight, but also has diabetes, and we all know that like carrots are good for the eyes, am I going to give my kid carrots? Yes or no? You should. I mean, you could if you want to. No, I will not. <laughs> right. I don't know. You know what I mean? So, like, how how do we deal with that? You know what I mean? How am I going to fix my kid's eyes? Yeah, <laughs> They're busted, know. broken eyes. That's tough. I, I, I don't know. But whoever does have a kid like that, I mean, I wish them good luck. And I apologize for that. It's crazy. Right. Picky eaters. One in four parents say picky eaters is a problem. You know, it, it is difficult to force kids to eat if they don't want to eat. 
You know what I mean? Because kids are the type of, to have, be very oppositional and be like, if I don't want broccoli, I ain't going to eat this motherfucking broccoli. Oh, yeah. There's kids. Oh, man. The veggies. Yeah. Kids definitely don't want that. And that's the tough part. But you need to force them down their throats. Exactly. Because you got to have those healthy meals, you know? Right. And so it's very difficult for parents, even before COVID, even like just from the beginning of childrenhood. Yeah. Um, they've just been dealing with this issue. Yeah. It's an ongoing issue. It doesn't even have to do with COVID, honestly. Right. So let's talk about non-standard work schedules or on-call workers. So why is that a big issue? It's a big issue because I feel like non-standard work schedules are contributing to like a high health risk, you know? Um, if like I saw this study like prior to starting this episode, you know? So I found the study and it says that 17% of people have jobs with irregular schedules. A disproportionate number of them are low-income workers. And I feel like they have the less, like, it's about time, you know? People who have non-standard work schedules barely have time to meal prep for anyone in their family, you know? And it says that non-standard work schedules, people with non-standard work schedules are also associated with increased risk of health problems. Right. So let's think about that, right? So if I was an on-call worker, you know, you can anticipate on-call workers to make some some bank for having like those awful hours to deal with, like nurses and like EMTs and things like that. Yeah, definitely. So here's what goes on in my mind when I think about that. I think about if I was like an EMT or a nurse... I would be using a large amount of my money to pay for the home, to right. be honest. Oh, definitely. Because I imagine I'm a person who can support a family of multiple people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like maybe they only have one kid. Maybe they don't. But, like, I anticipate they're going to be spending it on the home because, like, they probably want a really nice house. They probably want to make sure that all their bills are paid. Oh, yeah. Um, they probably want to pay for the kids' extracurriculars, and they want them to get, like, the best extracurriculars curriculars you know what i mean yeah i want to put a bitch in ballet i want to put a bitch in uh soccer but like the best soccer coaches tutoring yeah oh that that too gotta get tutoring you know what i mean gotta pay for the tutor babysitters i'm on call i don't know when i'm gonna be home somebody needs to watch this kid you know what i mean exactly yeah there's a lot there's a lot in there that it is definitely a challenge that non-standard work schedule workers uh, have to deal with every time like like you mentioned like the whole babysitting situation like i didn't even think of that too like um, eventually some of us are going to have to have like an on-call job, you know? Right. And even the babysitters, they have to know how to cook. They have to know how to get, make the meals. They have to know how to prep things. They got to follow these food TikToks like the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, they sure do. Mm-hmm. Um, next topic. Feeding is emotional. People's eating habits are largely wrapped around how they feel and their emotions at the time. Uh, a lot of people have food anxiety a lot of people have anxiety or anxious behaviors that affects their food eating habits. A lot of people have eating disorders. You know, we got these bulimias. Uh, we got the anorexias in, in the building. You know what I mean? Yeah. Shout out to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And then you got like people who just had a bad day. People who just got in an argument. You know, you got abusive parents. You know, you're sitting there. You want to eat your dinner, but you're watching your mom and dad arguing, like throw hands at each other in the living room while oh, you're yeah. sitting here trying to eat your spaghettios. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, e- eating is an emotional process, yeah. and people how people feel is really important to their eating habits. And not to mention, like people who have been like in a breakup or something. That's also one thing too. Like, um, oh, all the depressed yeah, people the depressed who are just people, like, yeah. I don't want to eat. Like, there's some who eat a lot of like a big jar of ice cream, but there's also those that are just like, they just don't eat all day. Or binge eaters. That too. Yeah. People who eat a lot in one sitting because they're depressed and things like that or upset. 
and uh, you know running up the food budget yeah we're supposed to have that for dinner but you ate up all the shit you know like you just gotta do it now it's now or never right <laughs> power struggles power struggles is also kind of goes back to the picky eater thing kind of does not so what we're referring to when we say power struggles is basically when the kids decide what everybody's gonna eat right because you got parents who are people pleasers mm-hmm. i don't know if you've seen dr phil but you got a lot of parents who like ruin their child's development oh, because yeah. they pander way too much to their kids needs and they don't know how to say no and a lot of them will say the same thing I feel guilty for them. I feel guilty that their dad left. I I feel guilty that I was on a drug binge when I had them when I was pregnant. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I feel guilty. I feel guilty. I want to have them give them a better life and da, da, da. And so people kind of like have this attitude about like, oh, well, this is the love of my life. I want them to have whatever they want. I didn't have this as a kid. I want them to have whatever they want. I didn't have access to this, but now I do. So I want them to have this because that's something that I couldn't have. You know what I mean? Whatever behavior they have towards their child and giving them what they want, it really is a factor because kids tend to pick the meals. You know what I mean? Kids yeah. tend to make the decisions. They relinquish the power of mealtime authority to their children. Right. And that is an issue that they got to correct. Mm-hmm. Lack of parent involvement in feeding. So this is kind of a subset to that issue because... Honestly, yeah. Some parents, uh, depending on the child's age, they could stand to let their child be more autonomous in how they eat. You know, you're three, you should be able to eat with both your hands. Oh, yeah. Some people just got these babies, you know what I mean? Haven't even left the tit yet. So, you know, it's very difficult to, like, plan meals for your older kids and then got to breastfeed your baby, got to pump for your baby, and then got to make sure the spaghetti is cooked right, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think there's some parents who are also just like, oh my kid could do it like he could handle it you know he could eat whatever he wants you know and then like you got a bunch of kids who don't know how to use chopsticks who don't know how to hold forks properly who don't know how to cut they steak you know what i mean they just look like barbarians just stabbing the shit and just going at it like it's hannibal lecter yeah and you know parents are just kind of not involved in the technical side of showing people how to eat things properly right conflicting information from social groups So this is an interesting one that a lot of people really do feel. And so what we mean by conflicting information is we take these scenarios, right? You tell your mother, oh, well, I'm thinking about giving my kid ABC. And your mother responds, man, you don't need all of that. You don't need all of that white people stuff. You don't need all of that rich people stuff. You don't need all of that ghetto stuff. I gave you this. I gave you that. And you were just fine. You had this and you were just fine. You didn't have this and you were just fine. Look how you turned out, right? (laughs) And then you think to yourself, okay, well, maybe I do or maybe I don't need it. Then you go to like a mommy playtime group and everybody there is like, oh no, you need it. Oh no, you need it. You should probably have it. It's like the most important thing. You're having for like a little, little, a little quick discussion, you know, talking about like what you to give your your kid. Right. Everybody's just sharing tactics for survival when dealing with children. You know what I mean? And they conflict. Interesting. And then you know, on top of that, we get all these messages about like commercials, about things to buy online, about these false advertisements for food and things like that. So. All of this information really conflicts for people. Right. And they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So then they're just kind of like, I don't know what to be my kid. Everybody's telling me this. Everybody's telling me that. I just want him to have a piece <laughs> of meat. Like, I just need, like, a, a piece, a slice of pastrami in this bitch or something. Like, well, maybe they just, don't, maybe they're not supposed to depend on the conflicting information from social groups, I guess. Uh, period. Mm-hmm, pretty much. <laughs> they just gotta do what they gotta do. I don't know. Right. So, another thing. 
fun time for you. Oh, okay, okay. So, so here's the thing, fam. So I know how to cook. I'm a very technical cook. Uh, we're filming. <laughs> we're recording in my living room. If you look to the side, I have an entire bookshelf with like four stacks of books, magazines, and da da da. If you look at this bottom section. A lot of those are cooking science books. <laughs> That's fun. So I'm a very scientific cooker. Right. You know what I mean? So here's the thing. We came across this study that was basically talking about like the number one items people typically like to use for preparing meals in a hurry. Because quickness, the yeah. speed of which things cook, is an important factor to this mealtime preparation type thing, right? Right. We found this study that listed kind of like in terms of practicality like the most favorite to least favorite yeah or the most common to least common yeah so the first on the list is seafood henry yes why is seafood the first one on the list because i think that when we were discussing this earlier yes i'm not a good person i'm not a good person when it comes to like cooking i don't know squat about it but i know that seafood is the top of the list because it is the best option in terms of time seafood is a lot faster to cook than like anything like chicken or something right okay so let's take that example so seafood versus chicken so you got a fillet of salmon you got a breast of chicken yeah so for to reach medium wellness how long does it take to cook a salmon versus cooking a chicken breast so from what we discussed yes seafood takes like 90 seconds 90 seconds burn. right and as for chicken, it's like five minutes, right? Or it was like a minute or two. I can't remember. Five minutes both sides. On both sides. Okay. Yes. Uh, five minutes both sides at medium to medium low heat. Right. Depending okay. on, you know, level of deadness. I said medium well. Medium well. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's cooked. Not well done. That's just period. It's cooked. It's ready to serve. No chance of rawness. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. Perfect. Okay, second on the list was pasta. Now, there's a reason why pasta is second on the list, and it does have to do with the practicality and versatility, number one. Number two, of pasta, right? Yeah. So, Henry, why is that important? So, number one, do you know how long it takes to cook pasta? I don't. To be honest, I don't, because I don't cook. Okay. So there's a concept called al dente, right? Mm -hmm. So al dente is Italian for of the teeth. Yes. So the thing about al dente is that it's basically saying it's a cooked style where it's not too soft and it's not too hard. You know what I mean? Because oh, okay. people have hard ass noodles if they undercook them. You know True, what I mean? Yeah. So what they're saying is that it's able to be chewable and sticks to the teeth. Ah, okay. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's where it comes from. That makes more sense. Right. Okay. So to reach al dente... Style. First, you have to boil your water. Oh, yeah. Fastest way water. to do it is boil that shit on high. Yeah. Just to make sure that shit goes and mm -hmm. then reduce the heat so you don't like... Because you can boil the water out of your pan, fucking up the cook of your pasta. Oh, yeah. Right? That's true. Yeah. Plus, in Italian cooking, you're supposed to salt your pasta water. Mm -hmm. So the thing about that is salt is conductive. Salt is a mineral. Minerals are thermoconductive. Mm -hmm. So once you add salt to your water, you do heat up the environment of the thing, making the water boil more makes more sense you yeah. know what i mean yeah but salt also increases the evaporability of water right. so if you leave it on high heat and salt your water not only will it disperse faster more evenly to flavor your water but you're also essentially heating the entire shit up even more and increasing the chances that is going to evaporate so then 
what you got to do is you got to put it on medium after after boiling, right? You got to yeah. put it on medium so it simmers. Yeah. Then you got to put your pasta in. Okay. So to reach al dente after that point takes about 10 to 15 minutes. Dang. Yeah. Yeah, that's a long time. I mean, it's not. it doesn't sound long, but in terms of like cooking, it, it could take a while. Right. I guess. And depending on how much the density of the pasta that you put in it, mm-hmm. um, that can increase the cook time. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. Yeah. If, if I have like a small pot, but I put a big amount of pasta in it, it's going to take longer to cook. Right. But if I have the opposite situation mm-hmm. where I have a big pot, but I'm only cooking a little bit, the evenness of the cook is going to make the time cook less. You know what I mean? Oh. Okay. So that's when you cook for yourself and you're like really low on time and you're just like, you know what? Let me turn the oven on, heat this shit up. Ah. Go. You know what I mean? Okay. All right. So I'm learning. I'm learning. Yeah. So like it's it's a very technical thing to make pastas, but pasta is number two because basically it's a good dish. Number one, that's easy to make, simple to make. It is. And everybody should know how to make pasta. You know what I mean? Like I always ask my friends, do you know how to cook? Everybody says the same thing. I know how to make eggs and I know how to make pasta. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not really impressed in your knowledge of how to make pasta because I could also light some shit on fire and toss it in a bowl too. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's basically all it is. Right. So it's the simplest thing to understand, mm-hmm. yeah. but it's also the simplest thing to ruin. True. And, you know, it's versatile. You can have a lot of pasta styles. You can make a lot of sauces and things like that. Um, it releases starch, which you can use into a lot of dishes, incorporate into a lot of sauces and things like that. Nice. Um, you know, it is one of those things that is super versatile in cooking, and you can make it, like, any way you want to. Mm-hmm. But okay. also, most importantly, it's a dish that you could let do its thing while you do other things. So that's why it's more practical to make it's pasta. It's more practical. You know what I mean? Right. Because if it takes 10 to 15 minutes to cook, I could just leave that bitch on the counter I can make some other shit that goes onto the food plate, you know, whip up some veggies, whip up another, like, some chicken to go with it, you know what I mean? Yeah. So they cook at the same time, and all I gotta do is stir the pot, roast the chicken, stir the pot, you know what I mean? Yeah. It is a very time-manageable dish. Dish, yeah. Okay. So, the third on this list was meat, but it was meat prepared in a particular style. So, the thing about the style of the meat is that they were talking about meatballs, they were talking about sausages. They were talking about burgers, burgers which is patties, right? Yeah. Oh, they yeah. talked about bolognese. Bolognese, right? yeah. There bolognese you go. sauce, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was at, so before before this this recording, I was talking to Henry about it, and he didn't really understand why meat was thrown on the list. And so I'm gonna give you another chance, Henry. So okay. let's talk about it. Why? Okay. So we're talking about practicality, right? Yeah. So why would these specific forms of meat be practical? I feel like because I'm assuming, based on my little brain knowledge, <laughs> that I think it's because when you're like, when you have meat, it sometimes comes refrigerated and frozen, right? Correct. So I'm assuming that once you are actually going to start the process of cooking your meat or like actually trying to like prepare it, I feel like you have to thaw it out, right? And so I feel while it thaws out, you could always like... Similar with the pasta situation, you could kind of like do something else, like put in, like add, like cook something else, you know what I mean? And I, I'm based on my assumption, I feel like that's kind of the reason. I'm not too sure, Chris. So, you want the answer, Henry? Yes, please. So, we're talking about the form the meat takes, right? Right. What form does sausage and these aforementioned meats, because we're talking about bolognese, yeah, we're talking about burgers, and we're talking about like patties and things like that yeah and sausage yeah what form do 
both of these meats have. They're all like mushy, like they're very ground. Ground beef. They're ground. Mm -hmm. That is an important part of the equation. Why okay. would them being ground beef <laughs> and ground meat? Why why is groundness an important factor to this thing, right? Like really think about it. Okay. Why what what does ground beef do that impact beef does not? Is it Oh, okay, that's a, that's a good question. Honestly, it's um, the cook time. Yeah, it's the okay, okay, good. Because understand, okay. um, if I was gonna make like a, a like scramble, right? Yeah. I could chop up the ground beef and evenly cook it in like two to three minutes. Right. You know what I mean? If I was gonna make a burger, I just have to form the patty, mm -hmm. slap that shit on there, okay, yeah. and then do the whole doneness to medium well to preference. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? Yeah. And that'll depend on the cook time, right? Yeah. So if I'm making burgers versus if I'm making like a egg scramble and I want just sausage thrown in there, yeah. I don't need a big ass sausage patty. True. I don't need like a whole ass steak to go into it. You know what I mean? That I gotta mm -hmm. chop and shit afterwards. Yeah. And then, plus you gotta let meat rest. That too, yeah. Meat needs to rest in order to for the juices to absorb back in, for the flavor profile to improve, and for it to not be hot as shit. Yeah, that that for sure, I know. So, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Resting takes time too. Yeah. Time people do not want and do not have. Exactly. So, ground beef is easy because you can chop it up and, and decrease the cook time per the recipe. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I guess for every dish like it, and every meat, I guess everything's different. Yeah, because also, like, whole meat is just way more sensitive to cook. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's going to be raw in the middle. You got to put it in the oven. You know, sometimes steak can take, like, 20 minutes in the oven, depending on whatever recipe you're doing, whatever you're trying to do. Did I wrap it in foil? Am I broiling it first? Am I going to reverse sear or normal sear? You know right. what I mean? There yeah. are just so many strategies to cook meat. Yeah. And bitches don't have time for that. True. And then another thing that was interesting is that fourth place was things generally things that could be made in an oven to be honest because we are talking about yeah. pasta dishes we're talking about meat dishes we're talking about roasts we are talking about roasting vegetables and things like that all of these things can be done in an oven so people are really looking for things that can be done in an oven again because of the cook time it's manageable and because they could walk away from it and prepare something else right and then last was foods that have a high freezeability foods that have the ability to be maintained and frozen not just refrigerated but frozen why because of preparation because you can let it thaw out during the day yeah. it'd be ready to slap on a grill when you come home because um you know pasta for example um we have these like to-go boxes these um freezer boxes of like pasta pre-made dishes and da 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 yeah i could just slap that shit in the microwave Set it to like two minutes and the shit would be done. Slap it on my kid's lap. Hopefully not on yeah. my kid's lap. <laughs> no. But you know what I mean? You don't like, do that. <laughs> and, you yeah. know, we think about chicken nuggets, fish fingers, fish and chips, uh, roasted vegetables. All of these things can be done in an oven and at the same time. Right. I could just set the oven to like 375, segment like four racks of whatever the fuck I want to put in there. Yeah. Make sure they don't touch and let that shit run. True. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... Oven and freezeability is a very important factor into why people are preparing meals the way they are or struggling to prepare meals the way they are. Because as you're learning, um, there are many ways you could use the oven. There are many ways you could use the stovetop. There are many ways you can strategically think about how to freeze things depending on how much time you have. And people are just not hip 
to a lot of these tactics. Well, there goes there goes my thing. I'm gotta learn a lot about that for sure. <laughs> I'm gonna have to read your books. <laughs> right. And so that's all we have for this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about these topics, Google them. <laughs> We're a marketing firm. Yeah. We, we don't got that. However, if you would like to learn more about any of the contents of these studies, feel free to schedule a meeting with me at cmitchellmarketing.com and stay tuned for more episodes of That New, where we're bringing you That New. (laughs) Thanks for listening.